Welcome to Give Theory a Chance. Our guest today is Pirko Markula, Professor of Kinesiology, Sport, and Recreation at the University of Alberta. Pirko takes on the challenge of discussing both Michel Foucault and Giles Deleuze in a single podcast. Pirko explains how reading them together offers insight into embodied practices and reveals more ethical possibilities, something that Pirko herself explores in both her research activities and fitness classes. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. So we are here today to talk about Gilles Deleuze. Could you give us a one paragraph summary of who he was or, or in your mind what he's known for? Yes, I have actually decided to talk about both Michel Foucault and Gilles Deleuze because I'm personally using them in tandem. So I thought that might be interesting to people who listen to this podcast to think how can their work be used together. However, both Foucault and Deleuze are characterized as post-structuralists, at least by us English speakers. They themselves don't necessarily advance themselves as post-structuralists, but however, we find them post-structuralists because of their challenges to the top-down model of power and the ideological support for this power in this power model and the notion of the true self that characterizes humanism including the Sassurian structuralism that then they are posts of. Foucault is known mainly for three contributions, the power knowledge nexus and the self. Whereas Deleuze is known for his rhizomatics um, that is then supported by uh, such concepts as stratum, assemblage, body without organs, becoming an affect. Do you get a sense of how much of an influence they both have in the larger discipline? So thinking about whether it's sociology or or in the case of of both you and I studying sport? Yes, Foucault is definitely among the dominant scholars read and drawn upon in our subfield of sport sociology or physical culture studies. Deleuze is probably not that widely cited, particularly in North American sociology, but is definitely seen as a major figure in the recent new materialist turn in several social science and humanities disciplines. Could you tell us a little bit about how you first became aware of both of their ideas and whether you want to talk about them in tandem and separate, or just how these became something that you were influenced by or even or knew of? Yes, absolutely. So I became aware of Foucault's work already in graduate school at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. And I actually became aware of Deleuze through Foucault. And one of the very first texts by Deleuze I read was Deleuze's book titled Foucault. And that's still among my favorite books. What was it like when you actually, uh, what was it that appealed to you about the writing or about those ideas, since you say it's one of your favorites? (laughs) Yes. I'm going to start with Foucault. I did read Foucault directly in grad school. And at that point, his work was considered very difficult to capture. And he often included meticulous historical details amongst his writing to then build his argument. So that made it a bit convoluted for us um, graduate students at that point. However, then when I was reading his work in in a holistic manner for my book with Richard Pringle, Foucault's Born Exercise, Foucault actually proceeds very clearly in his books. And they kind of rely 
more of a historical narrative. So when reading Foucault, one can learn to find the main points amongst the historical evidence. So for example, I think Discipline and Punish is actually quite a clear text, even for students to read. Did you initially get lost in that historical detail at all? Because I know the first time I encountered the reading, and especially when I teach Foucault and social theory, students struggle to pull out those arguments and get lost in those that particular passage where it goes off on what seemingly could be a tangent, even though it's part of his argument. Absolutely. The historical evidence can be very confusing. And that's what I meant, that you can also learn to then read the historical evidence in its, in its right place, because it's not, not necessarily the idea that we know all that historical evidence. It's just that that's how he arrives to his arguments. Do you want to talk a little bit about the first time you encountered Deleuze's ideas, especially in writing about Foucault? Absolutely. <laughs> so while, like I said, I became aware of Deleuze's writing through Foucault, my actual first attempt to engage with his work was to uh, feminist Deleuzean writers such, uh, such as Rosie Braidotti or Elizabeth Gross. So that was a little clearer. Um, and then reading his book on Foucault, that was a more complex undertaking at that point. Um, but in some curious way, it was very inspiring. And at the same time, he seemed to explain Foucault even better than Foucault explained himself. So in that sense, it was a very positive reading. But then my next text by Deleuze was A Thousand Plateaus. Oh, that is a different story. <laughs> and there's still a lot to discover in that book. So Deleuze and his co-writer Qatari are notoriously very difficult to capture. Can you talk a bit about what draws you back to the writing? And again, thinking about my experience reading this in the classroom or my first time encountering it, Sometimes when I encounter difficult texts like A Thousand Plateaus, it's hard to continue on, <laughs> even though the idea seems so entrancing. So have you ever had that struggle or, or what keeps you returning to it and drawing on those ideas? I have had huge struggle. <laughs> and also, I think uh, Deleuze and Qatari, although Qatari is not a philosopher necessarily per se, because they write so much to other philosophers. So to then be able to uh, locate those philosophical debates that they constantly refer to, that makes it difficult, I think. But like 8,000 plateaus, it has several different plateaus on its own that basically we could read as their own text. So I think the best way to tackle that text is to try to, not to try to read the whole book, definitely not, but then take it bit by bit to then think, do I now understand more or do I now capture something different from what I did before? But the Deleuze's text on Foucault, it's not like that. So the, in that sense, in a way, it is possibly a nicer way to enter Deleuze, especially as Foucaultian, than starting with 8,000 plateaus. Could you tell us a bit about how the two theorists intersect, some idea that emerges that has had a significant influence on you? Yeah, that's why I want to talk to them about them together, because for me, 
the idea of historical formation, that's actually Deleuze's term of Foucault's work, Deleuze's own term strata, and then his term on assemblage, they have been, they have had a very strong influence on my own work. So all those referring to the idea that of the knowledge and the power of knowledge and thinking, because um, strata, the historical formation, they are kind of knowledge belts that are historically formed uh, through coming together of certain expressions, sayable language, with certain content that is the visible material. And then we can examine that process and how some of these dominate and then what it means then, the dominance of that those strata, what it means then for me and my students about practicing physical activity. And then the other concepts, um, this is kind of to say how um, is physical activity practiced in today the way it is, um, but I also have always been interested in how do I change physical activity practices that are unethical in my mind. So then I've used the combined battery of concepts of the fold, the body without organs, and the technologies of the self. Could we shift to talk a little bit about your own research? And it seems like a perfect point as you're introducing these ideas. So how have those ideas influenced what you've done in your own work? Yeah, so I was drawn to Foucault and Deleuze particularly because um, um, my main interest in, the, in, in this, uh, um, their work is not only to critique what exists, but also to create social change. So I study women's exercise, and I first use Foucault's disciplinary techniques, the time, space, and exercise formation, to then examine how group exercise classes can act as normalizing practices through hierarchical observation and gaze that then operate as a larger panoptic system of surveillance and self-surveillance. And particularly, then I felt through the support of the now-defined impossible-to-achieve-feminine-body ideal. Now, that's obviously is a dominant system that doesn't allow to very much uh, freedom for women to then think and act differently. So then I became more interested in how can I create change in this operation of power relations. And I first engaged um, Foucault's technology to the self, they are the techniques through which one is to create a different type of self by creating a different ethics of practicing and then by building a more aesthetic self. Like Foucault said, yourself is kind of a type of work of art. So this meant creating a different self and ethics for myself as a researcher, but then also a researcher who then has to actively engage in fitness practices for example, fitness instru instruction to create more ethical fitness practices, not just record what others do. So this also meant trying to educate my students to practice differently. And later I used Deleuze's notion of the fold, how to create new ways of knowing by using the existing knowledge, but not being dominated by them in actual physical activity practice. And I have also had several attempts to build on Deleuze's body without organs. This is the type of body that exists kind of below the body that is now signified by language to take on certain identity, subjectified into true self that is supposedly free to act. 
and then organized to medical and science knowledge into certain type of um, uh, natural body. So the BWO, the body without organs, is then to allow one to build a different self through the body without using a sledgehammer, as Deleuze and Qatari would say, to shatter everything that we know and understand as being an individual in society. This has been a very difficult project. <laughs> it has been further complicated now after and during my writing of my most recent book that is called Deleuze and the Physically Active Body. So you mentioned that building on your reading of Foucault, you felt inspired or even or even pushed to actually engage in physical practice. Do you think, do you think that both scholars in their writing pushed the reader to not just read and respond via writing, but actually to go out and into the world and and enact these ideas? Um, do you see that as a common thread? I see that as a... I'm using their toolkit to do that. For Deleuze and for Foucault as well, because they were philosophers, for them practicing meant thinking. So how they practiced in the world was thinking, thinking differently. They probably don't directly say, oh, go do things differently outside, outside of your thinking, but I'm taking the message from them to mean that. Yeah, which is fascinating because both of them are so, so centrally or fundamentally scholars about the body or of the body, and yet, and yet their practice is just to write. Yeah, and that was also what, why I was drawn particularly to Deleuze and Foucault instead of, for example, Derrida, who is more language-oriented. So do you see yourself in your projects, in your uh, both your physical practice, but also your writing and scholarship, do you see yourself building and extending their ideas, or also are you calling into question some of their basic uh, fundamental concepts? Yeah, I think what we just discussed previously is, is part of what I'm thinking, I'm trying to do with the concepts. But um, as a social scientist, then I have attempted to think how we can constructively then use these philosophical concepts. Um, and like I said, Foucault and Deleuze primarily in the, intended their concepts to aid for thinking differently. So outside the dominant doxa philosophy that they felt was limiting and excluded multiplicity of thought. So for them, thinking differently is the tool for change. But as a social scientist, I feel that I also indeed need to think differently, but I can't leave it there. I also collect empirical material to map, critique, and then try to change, um, hopefully to find more ethical ways, of how physical, activity in how physical activity is now practiced in the current culture. Um, so like I said, they don't necessarily talk about that level of practice. Um, but um, uh, this has also been my major level of, ch uh, my major challenge with their work, particularly with Deleuze, because Deleuze, for example, does not reserve a huge role for social scientists in terms of creating new thought. Um, so basically he thinks science, art and philosophy all create thought, although they might be in different form. And then I've been questioning more and more now, how then can we employ Deleuze's thought in social science examinations and go beyond the mode of thinking differently, then to also practice differently as social scientists. 
Now, you're already talking about the relationship between two very important theorists, but I'm wondering, in this experience, working through your research, working through these ideas of, of what you can do in scholarship, do you see other scholars, other theorists, other academics that you can place them in conversation with or that you think work particularly well together? Yeah, this is a good question because that is why I'm using Foucault and Deleuze together. Because I think when they are in conversation, one can get even more tools and and more excitement and more possibilities out of them. Another theorist that I recently have read quite a lot and, and find can be quite exciting is Bruno Latour. And Bruno Latour, of course, also uses openly the concept of assemblage that he says he has gotten from Deleuze. And Bruno Latour identifies more as the sociologist of science. So I'm thinking, will Bruno Latour help me further than think how philosophical thought and thinking can then advance also social science practice? So in terms of final questions, I like to start with one that's kind of a funny question, but I'm always curious about, and that's how is your relationship to these two very important theorists changed since your first encounters with them? Because I know you mentioned that Foucault, you can trace back to reading the primary text in grad school, and you've written a number of books uh, building on these ideas. Do you see your relationship as changing? Absolutely. Particularly to Deleuze's work. I, since, since writing this book, and that has been a very long and wild, inspiring process, also with a lot of struggle and difficulty of how do I now do justice to, justice to his work? And I certainly didn't appreciate the abstraction that is necessary for Deleuze's rhizomatics. One of his central idea, ideas is the multiplicity, but the idea of multiplicity doesn't refer to, for example, oh, let's have multiple identities now. The multiplicity refers to the notion that there is not yet formalized knowledge of substances and forms um, that we then need to tap into to think differently. So multiplicity is something that we haven't even thought of yet. And then I am not sure how I will tap into that multiplicity, but that's absolutely necessary when we think with the lures. And through this process, I'm thinking, maybe I go back to Foucault and start doing more of that kind of work again. Or maybe I employ more of Latour's thought that maybe helps me to bring the Deleuze's abstract philosophy closer to social science. And then for the final question, I like to give... I like to give you a chance to, in a sense, sell these theorists. So re- reflecting on your project, your experience in the classroom, and especially considering that it can be difficult to first encounter the text from both of these scholars. So you have Foucault, where you can get lost in the historical detail. Uh, Deleuze is challenging due to the abstract nature of some of his ideas and the ways engaging with various philosophers and debates that you might not be aware of. Um, so what would you tell to an undergrad, a grad student, or even the larger discipline, especially considering sports studies, why they should undertake the difficult task of reading this stuff and engaging with the ideas in their work? Yes, and I'm personally trying to introduce my students at graduate level to both of these theories because I find them challenging, but that's the inspiring aspect about them. That's what I keep telling to my students. 
But so I teach students who are interested in physically active body. And so like we concluded, that's the main aspect for both Foucault and Deleuze. So my students are particularly interested in how the disciplinary techniques operate in different physical activity settings. And I think that disciplinary techniques, that's a friendly starting point to begin one's engagement with Foucault particularly. But from there, they do need to start thinking what are then the knowledges that support the panoptic normalizing process. And this is the bar knowledge nexus where everyone is participating, including the researcher, and then has an impact on the knowledge production. And that's a little bit more difficult thing for them to think. So the learners in general, like we have concluded, is a bit more difficult because of the abstraction of his thought. But like I said, his main concept of assemblage, how different expressions and contents come together into recognizable knowledge practice elements in society. And he uses the uh, idea of an abstract machine to denote the power in society that then puts uh, certain contexts and certain expressions together. So I have found that quite helpful and my students will engage with that. So for example, in my own work on bar fitness classes, I can examine how different expressions, such as the idea of feminine body, now dance that is brought into fitness, then fitness and health, assemble, those are the expressions, assemble with particular type of fitness practices in a particular type of uh, fitness space. And then also to think why this particular fitness form has become so popular now. So as you can see, I use Foucault's and Deleuze's works very much in tandem. So the practices you can look at as disciplinary practices to Foucault, but then start thinking more how they are assembled together with certain expressions to then understand how we now understand a fitness phenomenon, for example. Also, when one reads about Deleuze and Foucault, it's obvious that as philosophers, they both gathered very large audiences to their lectures. And we have concluded that their thought uh, is directed mainly to philosophers who they believed should lead the way of thinking differently. So not so much uh, marginalized groups or uh, citizens, but the philosophers. So therefore, I think that it is helpful to use their toolboxes, but a certain translation is necessary to make their work more user-friendly to graduate students in social sciences. Undergraduate students will find their work difficult. But personally, I do not believe that this means that as teachers, we should not be guided by Foucault and Deleuze. So for example, I used to teach an undergraduate course. It was titled The Fitness Industry. Um, in that course, we examined the different dominant knowledges and the matching practices and their limitations of, uh, in fitness industry, but we also then examined alternative ways to practice. So that was a very Foucaultian course in a sense that we looked at the power knowledge nexus and then the practices that come with it. But then I did not begin with difficult readings with Foucault, Deleuze or Assemblage, but rather I used their work to then shape how I instructed and constructed the course. For the general public, I want to give you a recent example. 
I gave a talk just very recently at our faculty on my current work on new materialism and I used Deleuze's fold as a supporting concept to explain what I'm doing. And after the talk, an audience member asked, what can this mean to me as a client looking to be more physically active? Um, and in a way, I said, no, it doesn't mean anything to you per se, because Deleuze and Foucault offer tools to conduct research that then should lead to more ethical fitness practices. And then as researcher teachers, we should educate better fitness professionals as our students. And then the audience member can attend to these more ethically conducted fitness classes. So I wanted to separate between the idea that there are research practices that are deeply, should be deeply informed by theory and, in my case, Deleuze and Foucault. And then there are everyday fitness practices that will also have to be informed by Deleuze and Foucault, but differently. And that requires different personnel to teach it. So I didn't think that an audience member who just wants to go to a different fitness class necessarily directly needs to engage with this philosophical theorizing but then would definitely benefit from practices that are based on this theoretical premise. And I also said that the audience member is welcome to attend my own class, that I teach myself, my fitness class, and in that one, the practices are informed by my research, but I do not lecture on Deleuze or Foucault directly in that class. That's a perfect place then. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Appreciation goes to Jeffrey Gilbert for providing our theme music, undergraduate sociologists Beth Heberger, Alicia Rios, and Simone Graham for their help with the project, and most importantly, on behalf of me, Kyle Green, thank you for giving theory a chance. Thank you.